HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Welcome to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. So my best friend, Lisa Weissman, is uh, she's a highly dyslexic, directionally challenged, self-acknowledged klutz, who is also prone to verbal malapropisms and is left-handed. Now, on top of all those things, she's also very smart, and she has very excellent artistic vision. And all of those things combined make me love her. And all of those things also somehow combined and came together in the weird and wild chemistry of her brain to make her extremely gifted with fiber arts, which you wouldn't think would be the case, but it is so. She knits and she sews and she quilts and she spins her own fucking yarn, for Christ's sakes. And she makes these really beautiful things that then she very generously gifts to all of her friends like me and I personally own three of her awesome quilts and more than a few uh hats and ear warmers and mittens and things she's knitted for me and she comes from a family of tailors so it's in her DNA I suppose it's sewn into her DNA and well she often can't walk in a straight line or tell her left from right she makes the most complex quilts and fiber based constructions I've really ever seen. So it shows we all have a skill somewhere. Anyway, but Lisa has a skill. My point is, you know, there is a point that Lisa has a skill that doesn't rely on the grid. It's an old school skill. She can knit in the dark. She doesn't have to look at what she's doing. She can spin her yarn with foot power, which is what she does. She can sew by hand in candlelight without a machine. She could clothe herself and her family, if it came to that, off the grid. Now, I am a chef and a cooking instructor. 
I can build fires and I can cook over a fire. I can grow vegetables. I can catch and clean fish. I could probably catch a small animal and kill it if I had to. I could definitely clean it and fillet it, or I could definitely clean and butcher a larger animal if maybe someone else killed it. I know how to keep bees. I can make sauerkraut. I also have a skill that doesn't rely on the grid. I could feed myself and my family if it came to that. Now, both of our spouses, Lisa and mine, work or worked in the past in technology, and high tech. Now, Lisa still does. Mine quit that world a couple of years ago. Her husband works in internet video streaming technology, and mine worked in web design and computer graphics design. And they both had skills that were almost exclusively reliant on the grid. With, I mean, without computers, without electricity, they would have no jobs. And they used to live in Brooklyn near us before they decamped for Portland. Mm-hmm. No comment. And we used to discuss that fact that if, if and when, not if, but when the grid finally goes down, Lisa and I could survive because we'd be wrapped up in sweaters and eating roasted squirrels because we had basic human survival skills, whereas Andy and Adam would be sitting in the dark in front of darkened screens, staring at them in belief and waiting for the lights to come back on while they raged at the gods above. We felt smug, and it was fun. It was a fun game for us to play. Now, it turns out that my spouse is actually really good at all kinds of survival stuff, like building and plumbing and fire making and all of that, and he would be fine. So it looks like Andy, her husband, would be the only one sitting in the dark, although he's really smart, so he'd probably just, like, rebuild the grid out of paper clips or something to, you know, suit his own needs. He would probably, you know, recreate an internet or something. But anyway, it was a fun game thinking about how we would survive in the post-apocalyptic, post-Armageddon Brooklyn. And really, it was kind of a total joke because even with all the skills that I have, as soon as the grid goes down, the food system would totally collapse. All hell would break loose and things would get really ugly really fast. I mean, think about just the public outrage last week when the mayor of New York proposed limiting the size of sodas that can be bought in New York City. I mean, you'd think he like proposed outlawing Jesus or something, you know, if only. But the point is that if people get that upset with the prospect of drinking a 12-ounce sweetened colored can of water versus a 36-ounce sweetened colored can of water, how freaked out and violent will they get when they suddenly have to go out and forage, fight, beg, or steal that colored sweetened water? Now, I'm going to go on record right now and make an unverifiable statement of what I believe to be fact, which is that none of the people who are freaking out about their soda size, freedom, and rights could even tell you how that soda was actually made or what's in it. Where does it come from? What makes it bright red or purple or black? Or where does the flavor come from? And how does it get here? Etc. Etc. Let alone all the steps and processes involved in their supersized bag of fries or the can of Pringles that they're pouring down their flab-thickened gullet along with those drinks. But what I'm talking about here today, people, is Armageddon. Good old-fashioned Armageddon. The apocalypse. The end of days. Which will mean the end of our food supply. The end of diet lemon sweetened iced tea and french fries and protein bars and cereal and sports drinks. And the end of mackerel and asparagus and broccoli rob and black beans and apples and watermelon and grapes and all those things that I love. 
It'll also mean the end of Netflix, too, but we'll get into that in another show. That, to me, in a way, is even worse. Now, something or things someday soon is going to interrupt or even destroy our food supply. It's bound to happen. Whether it's solar flares or an epidemic or radiation from Japan or poisoned food from China, our hyper-industrialized, totally globalized food system is overly complicated, overly reliant on technology, dangerously monocultured, and vulnerable to unthinkably bad things happening to it. Actually, it is the bad thing happening to it. It is its own worst enemy, and we may not even need some outside catastrophe to take it down because we've already done that ourselves pretty well. And we, the potato-shaped, docile, weak, wet noodle, infantilized first worlders, totally take our massive quantities and varieties of food for granted. We eat fresh pineapple in Alaska. Then let's go out for sushi tonight. And then how about a big tuna steak this weekend when we're out in Iowa? And oh, let's go to Vietnam and eat a pizza with imported cheese from Italy. And let's drink orange juice every morning, no matter where we are on the planet or what time of year is. Or eat millions and millions and millions of eggs cracked every day, thousands of miles from any chickens or tiny little organic baby micro vegetables grown in Ohio, then FedEx to Singapore, then served at a hotel that caters to Swiss bankers and Russian oligarchs. Soybeans and corn syrup produced by the megatons every minute and turned into protein bars and potato chips and sports drinks. All of it just spinning and flying and whizzing around the world, all dependent on the grid and the systems and the power supply and the truck drivers high on amphetamines and Red Bull. Do you ever really stop to think about it, to wonder where it all comes from or how easily it could all come crashing down? Now, if you think you were upset like I was upset when I found out that they're canceling 30 Rock, imagine how upset you're going to feel when there's no more fresh direct or no more Whole Foods or Starbucks or delis or takeout, when there's no more going out to dinner or no more fat-free frozen yogurt or your favorite flavor of Snapple is gone. I mean, I'm talking no Snapple at all ever again. It's probably a little bit about like how Tina Fey is feeling right about now. I mean, at least she's got a couple of Emmys under her belt. What I'm trying to say is that our foodiness manufacturing infrastructure that keeps us far removed from food and its source is a house of cards that as long as it's working, stays standing. But when it's all going to come back to bite us in our gigantic potato-shaped asses, when Armageddon finally comes and we know as much about food as we know about how our cell phones work or how we can rewind TV or how they can make Kathy Lee still look like she's under 40. Now, if you ask me, we're already at the brink of Armageddon because foodiness to me is Armageddon in that it's not food. It's that manufactured doppelganger that I keep talking about, the boondoggle that stopped people from recognizing real food when they see it. It's why my culinary students at the culinary school where I teach them to be culinary professionals go looking in the fridge for the bottled lemon juice or the canned whipped cream in the big refrigerators in our kitchen or they freak out when we present them with a whole chicken with its neck sticking out and maybe a couple of feathers because there's no shaped like nugget part on its body anywhere and they want to be chefs like on tv like hopefully i'm going to be soon and eventually getting my emmy like tina fey but that's also another story The point is that even my culinary students who sign up and pay a lot of money to go to school to have me teach them how to be chefs are utterly 
clueless as to where their food comes from. It's like going to medical school and being shocked that medicine actually has something to do with human bodies. Like when I ask my students what happens to a flower on a fruit tree after it blooms, what does it turn into? None of them can come up with the word fruit. They don't have a clue. Now, don't you need that to graduate from high school? Didn't you learn that in basic biology that fruit comes from the flowers on fruit trees? I even give them that fruit tree. I mean, I learned that and I was high half the time in high school and in the dark room the other half of the time and sometimes both. But, you know, of course, it was a simpler time. I mean, we didn't take Prozac. We didn't take Adderall. We just smoked a lot of pot like God meant for teenagers to do. So what's going to take down our food? Well, we don't really know that, but I have a couple of ideas. I mean, how about solar flares, sunspots, solar flares? Have you heard of these? It's on the cover of National Geographic right now. And 2012 and 2013 are going to be the biggest years for solar flares in a really long time. Now, the last time we had them this big, we weren't a wired society. We didn't really have a grid. All we had were telegraph wires, and it completely knocked out the telegraph system. So imagine what it's going to do to our completely wired electronic grid dependent on everything system. One good solar flare and our whole system gets knocked out. No electricity, no communication satellites, no landline phones even. As if you still have one of those. I actually still have a landline phone in case of a blackout. No transportation grid since that's all electronically controlled. No gas either since the pumps are electric. No water. Nothing, no grid, no food. So you better start shopping now. And the last time a major solar flare hit the earth, we still grew most of our food ourselves and lived in rural settings and we understood it. People knew how to do it. They knew how to grow and hunt and fish and trap and all that stuff that now we have no clue about today. Now, those couple of you know cute little chickens that you have in your Brooklyn backyard that you use to accessorize your urban farmstead-themed lifestyle... They're going to look pretty good pretty fast to a hungry neighbor after the nugget factory goes down. Or maybe a meteorite or a massive volcanic eruption. Remember how effed up things got last summer from that Icelandic volcano? One huge eruption or meteor hit can send so much dust and ash into the atmosphere that it can block the sun. And remember, no sun, no food. Just because everything we eat comes from a factory... You still actually need raw materials to make the crap in the factories. I know it's really hard to believe that most foodiness actually starts off as plant matter and then winds up as purple-flavored Darth Vader-shaped fruit snacks with vitamin E. That those actually come from a field somewhere. Many, many steps removed, of course. Or how about a good old-fashioned plant disease, crop failure? Doesn't that sound kind of old-fashioned and quaint? Crop failure. Now, now that foodiness demands billions of tons of sugar and corn and soybeans, and we only grow one or two varieties of those species, and then we dump billions of tons of pesticides all over those crops because the bugs keep outsmarting us, which isn't surprising considering what we're eating. It's making us really stupid. And we need more and more toxic sprays, and then the super bug emerges and it wipes out all of that for good. And then what? Where will you get your soy milk and your soy chips and your soy protein bodybuilding powder and your soy-fed chicken nuggets with soy fillers? Hmm? 
Well, don't come knocking on my fallout shelter door because I'll be inside eating real food like baked cockroaches and seared squirrel and really good high quality dog food because I know how to hunt and cook and I planned ahead for this. Or what else? How about nuclear radiation? I mean, if you're as old as me, you'll remember irradiated milk scares in the 70s. Well, now those scares actually seem as quaint as like the Three Mile Island nuclear accident compared with what's going on now. I mean, we've already seen irradiated food coming in from Japan. We have tuna and other fish showing up with radiation and it's heading toward the West Coast. And last week when I told people to maybe start eating California olive oil instead of Italian... But then again, maybe not, because a couple of you wrote in to say to me, yeah, but what about the radiation on the West Coast? Maybe those olives are getting dusted with Fukushima fallout as we speak. Or terrorism or biological weapons. And I don't mean the Kardashians when I say biological weapons. And meanwhile, if the terrorists were doing to our food supply what the government and corporate America were doing to it now, we'd invade like 10 Middle Eastern countries. But Unilever does it and we act like it's unpatriotic to point it out because corporations are people, you know. Or what about overpopulation? I mean, we used to be really worried about that back in the 60s and 70s when there were only like three or four billion people, but now we're seven billion pushing 10 and it's been totally brushed under the triple wide strollers. I mean, seriously, have you walked around Brooklyn or Chelsea lately? It's like some crazed fertility god is running rampant and making everyone pregnant with triplets in all the like kind of formerly cool neighborhoods that were full of like hip singles and gay people. And it's like being pregnant is the new master's degree. Okay, your book report this week, not that any of you will actually do it, is on Margaret Atwood's book, The Handmaid's Tale, and how it relates to foodiness Armageddon. Now, if you don't want to take the time to read the book, you can watch the movie. It has Natasha Richardson and Faye Dunaway in it trying to make up for the camp disaster of Mommy Dearest and filmed back when Faye Dunaway's face still looked normal. And when you see it, you'll never see strollers the same way again. And then, of course, there's the rapture. I mean, I'm sorry, but Jesus is late, and I don't mean that in a Jewish way. I mean that in a rabid religion-hating way. Because believe what they say or not, I mean, they may be a little bit off schedule, but you never know. I mean, we'll find out today. Oh, my God. Today is Tuesday, isn't it? The 5th. We're going to find out today in Wisconsin, aren't we? There's a Wisconsin recall election tonight. We're going to find out if the end is nigh. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up. If you don't get the reference. Because you can collect. You can kiss your collective bargaining rights goodbye. Since you won't need them anymore because in Armageddon. We won't need any labor unions because we won't need to be manufacturing anything. So, see, maybe we are already there. Now, if you live in New York, do you remember the blackout of 2003? All the refrigeration went down. All the delis started price gouging almost instantly. And that was only for a couple of days. Remember, our water system runs on electricity. Now, I have these nice French neighbors who own a bistro on my block. And they had just opened and they just started giving away all their beer. They couldn't keep it cold, so they gave it away, and that's how I got to know them. Well, the deli owners across the street tripled the price of their water to sell to the heat-stroke, dehydrated people who were walking home over the Brooklyn Bridge. And that was kind of like a mini Armageddon. That was like a little trial run. That was like an Armageddon fire drill, and we didn't really do that well. But we did get a couple days off, which was nice, and there were a lot of impromptu parties, and I got to meet some neighbors I never knew, so that's good. So I think about the end a lot. And by the end, I don't mean Sarah Palin as Secretary of State under Romney. 
I mean, I think about apocalyptic situations like epidemics or plagues or poisoned food supplies. I mean, I guess that's like the Jew in me, the kind of dark vision of it all that we seem to specialize in. We're going to take a very quick break when we get back more about the end being near. At Whole Foods Market, we review each and every product that hits our shelves. Our cleaning products are no exception. Our EcoScale ranking system rates each household cleaner so you know what you're getting. Now, during Earth Month and any time of the year, learn more at WholeFoodsMarket.com. Welcome back to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. Are we really going to need organic cleaning products once the grid goes down? Do you still have to clean your house in the apocalypse? I hope not. Can I finally fire that cleaning lady that I can't get rid of because I have liberal guilt? Let's hope so. Anyway, so the idea for foodiness, I mean, the idea for Let's Get Real, really, originally, kind of came from watching too many futuristic post-apocalyptic movies like Soylent Green and Logan's Run and Blade Runner, or of course, Wally, which you know I love. So let's take a look at how food and eating is handled in films that deal with apocalyptic situations, like Logan's Run. Most of you listening to this are probably way too young to even remember, but you can watch it now. You can watch it. It's a classic. So in Logan's Run, they don't really eat in the film. They're too busy doing drugs and having orgies and getting their faces and bodies altered to look any way they want, which actually doesn't sound like such a bad life. But then Michael York and that British actress escape the city seals and the big robot confronts them and says something about seaweed and fish and plankton dying out. And then we see he's been freezing all the runners because they were all about only like 30 years old, looked great, but it suggested that maybe they were eating the people. Just watch it. You'll see what I'm talking about. Or Blade Runner, where there's environmental collapse and everyone's leaving the planet. But there's tons of Chinese food and mostly noodles, which is weird, and some robot snakes. But the background of the film was that the ecosystem was collapsing and everyone was having to move to off-world colonies. The only thing left to eat was really bad Chinese takeout, which sort of sounds like New York in the 80s. Or Soylent Green, which you know I love to talk about, where everyone thinks they're eating this super nutritious seaweed-based product, but it's died off too, and there's nothing they'll eat but people. Although at least Soylent Green was food, unlike the Soylent chips that people eat at my gym these days. It's interesting how a lot of these have to do with seaweed. Why are we eating more seaweed? I eat seaweed. I eat nori every day. Or, of course, one of my mom's favorite shows, Battlestar Galactica. It took place in another solar system, but in the recent version of the show, they ate nothing but seaweed they found on the seaweed planet. doesn't really apply to us, though, now, because the seaweed that's being tested off British Columbia is also coming up radioactive because of Japan. But you get the point. And then, of course, The Matrix. 
the Matrix, the Bible of Let's Get Real, where they're not really eating anything. They've merely been programmed to think they're eating. But in fact, the big computer robot complex is basically eating them. You know what? We're halfway there already, people. Foodiness programs us to think we're eating, but it's not an actual experience of food. It's just something to make you want and crave more and get fatter and unhealthier. And then you need foodiness drugs, which were made by the same people. I mean, corporations. I mean, people. And then you can buy the foodiness diet versions of the food. It's a very good system built to last highly sustainable. And of course, my favorite foodiness warning movie of all time, Wally. Where the earth is devastated and nothing grows. So people live in a giant Disney spaceship where they live on the ultimate 7-Eleven foodiness, Slurpees and hot dogs you can drink. There's no food. There's no chewing even because that's like exercise. Of course, if Bloomberg has his way, those people in Wally would only be drinking little sodas. So I'm not sure what would happen there. Now you see, I just wrote the Wally book report for you. So let's just forget about that one. Or what about the Terminator? The Terminator, they ate rats. Mad Max, dog food. The day after, in the final scene, we learn that the soil is irretrievably irradiated, and that's it. We're all screwed anyway. Oh, kind of like now. Or Night of the Living Dead. Yet again, eating people. I mean, Jesus. What, what, what was all this stuff I was watching? What happened to Little House on the Prairie? I was watching that, too. I mean, the worst that they ever had to deal with was when that plague of locusts came and ate all the wheat. I mean, they were kind of fucked, but they made it. They survived. They figured it out. Pa always did something. I mean, Laura even grew up to be a best-selling author, so she couldn't have suffered that much. How come the plagues and stuff from the past never wiped us out as a species? But any day now, something futuristic is going to take us down hard. And also, the Ingalls never once discussed cannibalism. I'm just saying. But that Harriet Olsen was a real bitch. And I'm sure if the Ingalls did have to resort to cannibalism, they probably would have gone for her first. And then they probably would have eaten Mary second because, you know, she was blind. She would be easier to kill. And of course, in post-apocalyptic situations, disabled people don't fare so well. But that's all speculation. I don't think the ADA applies in the apocalypse. So let's get real, people. Because that's what this is all about. In the event of an apocalypse and you survive it, you're going to have to fend for yourself. Fresh Direct won't be showing up on time. Right on the Fresh Direct website, it actually says, if you look, it's right on their homepage. In the event of an apocalypse, we cannot guarantee delivery slots will be available or deliveries on time, nor can we actually guarantee food, nor can we guarantee that our drivers won't try to eat you in revenge for your skimpy tips and move into your Tony Brownstones and high-rise luxury apartments. So if there's no Fresh Direct and no bodegas or Korean grocers or bagel stores or Starbucks or Dwayne Reed or pizza places or even Whole Foods, which is kind of apocalyptic already, what will you do? I mean, I hate to sound like a Branch Davidian or a Messianic Jew or an evangelical Christian or one of those gun-wielding survivalist neo-Nazis in the desert hoarding canned foods and child porn in preparation for the apocalypse, but the end is coming. And what are you going to be serving for dinner? Well, first of all, you're going to have to start planning now. So if you live in New York, get your shoes and your sweaters out of your oven because it's not really meant for storing those, you know. Although actually, you know what? You won't even be able to use your oven since there'll be no gas or electricity. So forget about that. Put your shoes and your sweaters back in your oven. You're going to need your closet for storing your food rations. So clear some storage space. 
Get rid of all your stuff that you won't be able to use after the collapse, like your blow dryer and your TiVo and your vibrators and your bong. No, 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 keep your bong. You're going to need that. And start stocking up on food instead. Even though last week I told you not to buy canned beans because of the BPA and the can liners, I think in this case, a little BPA is minor stuff compared to nuclear holocaust and marauding gangs of mutant zombie Chelsea mommies looking for whole grain goldfish for their triplets because that's all that little Lexus and little Audi will eat. So I'd start buying beans now. Not dry beans. You won't be able to cook them. Canned beans. And also invest in a huge padlock for your door and maybe a gun. Okay? And I just want to point out to all my conservative listeners that I just endorse guns for self-defense. Okay? There. I said it. And also honey never goes bad. So you should start hoarding honey right now. And I've eaten pretzels that have been sitting around for like five years and they're still good. So maybe pretzels too. Stuff like that. Now, as much as I hate to say it, this is where foodiness might actually work in our favor since it never goes bad and can survive most any apocalyptic event unscathed. Remember, I did an episode about this a while ago called Food's Supposed to Go Bad or it's called something like that. Nothing can destroy the goodness of an organic apple pop tart or multigrain Cheerios or even the worst natural or man-made disaster won't take the fun out of kids' yogurt in a tube or fruit by the foot. I mean, who needs 50-pound bags of dried wheat and corn and rice when you could have gigantic Costco-sized boxes of frosted flakes? I mean, if you are eventually, or even sooner, going to die from the radiation or the plague or whatever caused the Armageddon in the first place, maybe you should just eat whatever old shit you want since it's all going to be over pretty soon. And then, for once... The liberal elite, like me, with their kitchens full of real food, will probably die off sooner than the population who has the 20 boxes of frosted flakes that they can live off forever. And then maybe the meek really will inherit the earth, or at least the weak, because they're so weak because all they've been eating is sugar. I don't know. Maybe, you know, someone will eat me and I won't be feeling so smug then. Or do you want to be a survivor, one of the few who live through it? And then team up with others and procreate and make a new population of humans under a temperature-controlled dome where there are no mommies or potato people or tourists and we're all thin and gorgeous and we can do lots of drugs and have all the plastic surgery we want and everyone looks like Farrah Fawcett and Michael York and we die before we ever need facelifts or glycolic peels. Or do you want to survive and be one of the kind re-inherited, the kind who re-inherited the damaged earth and start new? you want to begin over and do it right this time? No chemicals, no industrials, just back to the old ways, back to Eden. Just a few of you and some beautiful cleared waterfront land you liberated from a couple of dead hedge fund guys up in Greenwich. I mean, they thought they were so protected up there on their big estates with their electronic surveillance system and their electronic front gates guess they were wrong. And you know what? Those guys tasted really good too. It must have been all that foie gras and gold leaf that they'd been eating as they played just a little too hard and fast with the global economy, pushed things just a little too far and created the total economic meltdown that triggered the collapse, that set off the panic, that accidentally released the plague that ended it all. And don't get all sanctimonious and squeamish about it because cannibalism is what's going to get us through until we can restart the society. And the sooner you just accept that, the better. Let's face it, pun intended, if you can't get down with eating people, you probably won't survive. So you can start planning your cannibalistic menus and meal plans right now and you'll be ready to go. And this is also 
where we find out just how much you really love your pets and your children. We're going to take another quick break here, and then we'll come back and sum up what's really going to happen in the end. Welcome back to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. Sorry about the short musical break, but I got to get to work. Anyway, I want to be one of them. Not the Eaton Connecticut hedge fund bankers. I want to be one of the survivors. Although, I'm just about too old to be fertile and repopulate at this point. I mean, not without, you know, six-figure scientific intervention that could make me a new mom of triplets at 45, which I have seen. But I can cook and plant and raise the bees. I mean, I'm super useful. That's another thing. You think in this economy you have to justify your job in order to keep it? Well, you better come up with a survival skill that the group needs or you're going to be turning into brunch. And this is a note to Chris Nutter, my co-producer. PR is not a survival skill. And anyway, I can always do a radio show too, although only the people right there in the fallout shelter with me will be able to hear it. I mean, it'll be live like the old days. I'll be like Tina Turner in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome doing Let's Get Real from a giant elevated cage with crazy hair and makeup. And if I had legs like Tina Turner, that would be worth surviving the apocalypse. And maybe, oh, just maybe, I'll reach my goal weight. Although I doubt it, since I always say that I would have been the one stumbling out of a liberated Auschwitz with the tops of my thighs still rubbing together. And think about all that credit card debt or student loans that you'll never, ever have to pay back. And if you have a horrible neighbor or a baby daddy you've just been itching to kill, a lawless apocalypse is totally the time to do it. And then you can feed them to your pets. Consider it just eating close to the source. I mean, what is the ultimate locavore food but your neighbor? And then you can eat the pet. So, when the apocalypse does finally come, and it will, my friends, don't you worry, and you don't know how to do anything or cook anything, and you're looking for me, I'll be in my foodiness fallout shelter with my BFF, Lisa Weissman, who will be knitting us a TV, and her husband, who will be making us an internet and cable modem out of spider webs and tree sap, and my husband, who will be building us an annex to the shelter because it's starting to get a little crowded in there right about now, especially with Chris Nutter banging on the door claiming that our shelter still needs a publicist. So don't even think about coming and knocking on my door because I told you this was coming and you didn't listen to me. Sorry, we're full. There's no more room and you can't come in. Unless you have beer, then we'll reconsider. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store.
You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.